That of course is what. Um. Oh come on. I it's from Star Wars. Thank you. Okay, but I they all. That's um, our theme song this week. Yeah, the light motif. Yes. I, I don't know which one it is, though. Well, hello, guests out there that have tuned in for week three. Yeah. Thank wow. you. You, the, the faithful few. <laughs> we appreciate your undying support. We do. And we love those reviews we've been getting. Yeah, thank you I'm so losing much. track because there's so many. So many. But each ones. and every one helps us gain fame and glory, which uh-huh. is what we're after. The, that is the ultimate. So please, money, so. yes, dispose of your emotional energy to make our lives what we want. <laughs> And rate and review us on iTunes. The only platform we're available on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Taylor. Guess what? Joshua, what? So many things this week. We're going to talk about cancel culture. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I just realized I never looked up the text of terror. I mean, I have it in my head, but I have to find it. I'll do that while you're talking later. Okay. Um, I do have some things for the roundup. Do you have anything for the roundup? Um, I don't have anything in particular for the roundup. Because my brain is having a hard time remembering what days are in the week. Yeah, I get it. Well, I have a few observations I want to make about TikTok. Okay. Since um, that was our first episode. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I don't do TikTok because I don't want China stealing my information. Well, I actually don't have a TikTok account. Uh huh. But I have the app on my phone. So can you do that? Can I you can, just view anonymously? That's what well, I do. Well, you know what I do is I do the reels on Instagram. On Instagram. And a lot of them are TikTok imports. Yeah. Speaking so, of reels, we had a really great UBC reel. Well, that's in my talking points <gasps> okay, for this sorry, week. I won't. I won't. So, um, first of all, I want to tell you this. Do you know what the evangelicals are doing? I don't know. <laughs> such disappointment. <laughs> in, they're taking over TikTok. So, in my reels this morning, there was one guy who was like, here's a 15... Here's a 15-second prayer for you. Okay. And um, it was like... Was it a good prayer? I don't judge prayers. That's nice of you. I wouldn't pray this prayer. Okay. Okay. Um, That's a good distinction, though. But but it just it, it kind of felt slimy to me. And then there was one, it was like... <laughs> this is a piggyback out last week. It was okay. a guy, he was like, hey, I know what time it is. I know what you're doing. I know you're scrolling through videos late at night. I know what I know what happens right now when temptation comes. Oh my god. And then there was a third one. This is the worst. That causes me anxiety. This is the worst one was um was, um I, <laughs> the guy it's like I I feel called to spread the gospel of the world. Can you retweet and reshare and follow and like me so I can have a bigger platform? So that I can have a bigger platform. <laughs> That's it. Nailed it. That's that was the way um, to do it. that was almost endearing to me because it was so, um, <laughs> so un- unself-aware, so transparent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but okay, so there's the evangelicals. I have great news for you. Oh, good. Propping up the most believable conspiracy theory, according to you. Okay. I found a reel, a TikTok. Wait, what? Featuring a mermaid. <gasps> yeah. And it was legit. Yeah. Well, it looked like real. I, there was no uh, iMovie involved. It was a real mermaid. <laughs> I didn't know what most believable conspiracy you were talking about because that's not a conspiracy. Mermaids are real. That's but. right. You have a thoroughgoing belief that mermaids are real. Well, here's the thing. 95% of the ocean is unexplored, Josh. <laughs> so you're going to tell me you know what's in that 95% of the ocean? No. 90. And I do. It's mermaids. So. Okay. You just don't think that there would ever be a sighting or a, a picture? Well, mermaids are smart. <laughs> <laughs> and they know that if they got caught, it would be bad. It would be bad for them. Yeah. Have you seen Splash? 
Right. It and didn't go so, well for her. No. And so, um, yeah. We, I mean, we could talk about mermaids all day, so we should probably move on. Maybe we need a mermaid yeah, episode. A mermaid I w- okay, now the third thing was Toph. Yeah. And first of all, what a what a great video. I mean, props, but props. but I am very jealous. You are. Yeah. Because <laughs> it wasn't you. Well, and it was successful. So successful. I I mean, it, had he done it and it was cutesy and it got ten views, that's great. Yeah. But it really took off. Well, I do think we also have to credit Taylor Torgrosa Beard. Taylor Torgrosa Beard. I don't think it's. I Did she make the video though? I think Toph made the video. I think they worked together. Well, give them both props. Yeah. I was just jealous. Yeah. I needed to confess that. Speaking of confession, I have another weekly roundup thing for us that dovetails so perfectly. Oh, okay. Um, do you listen to the Armchair Expert? I don't. It's the Dak Shepherd podcast. Yeah. Uh, this is not an endorsement because this is the UBC umbrella, and you will <laughs> oh. find all kinds of things that are not of the kingdom of the Lord confessed <laughs> and spoken about in his podcast. Amen. But... He did a like an interlude episode that was forty five minutes uh-huh. this week. He, they're usually like two hours, oh, wow. and it was um, called Day Seven, uh-huh. and it's like forty five minutes of him confessing that he's relapsed. Oh my gosh! But not alcohol okay. or cocaine, which are like his big ones, I guess. But he, you know, got in several accidents recently, uh-huh. and began misusing his like pain medication, opioids, or whatever. Um, it was just so beautiful and so yeah. courageous. Yeah, that's really vulnerable in a way that, like, I just feel like celebrities don't have to be. Well, know? yeah, and he's like, I think that's why his podcast is good. That's mm-hmm. what he's great at mm-hmm. is creating vulnerability. Yeah. In a way that's meaningful and not kind of kitsch, you yeah. know? Yeah. So if you have confession is one of the seven sacraments according to the Catholic Church. If mm-hmm. you want to see that done beautifully and um, eavesdrop on a, a really great episode, I would recommend that. Well, I don't normally listen, but I feel like I might want to listen. That's worth day seven, 45 minutes. I listen to time and a half, you'll fly through it. Time and a half. Also, I listen to us time and a half, and we're both fast talkers. We are? Yeah. Time and a half for us is like two. Oh. Because we, yeah, we're, we get through it quick. I, yeah, I think I was aware that I'm a fast talker. I know I'm a fast talker. Yeah. I've been told more than I want to hear. Really? Do you have anything in the roundup? Um, the world slid by you this week unnoticed? Yeah, it really did. Uh, what I would like to talk about is the state fair, the Texas Oh, state yeah, fair. you went on I went Sunday. To, yes, I went to the... No, Saturday. Yeah, on Saturday. I went to the state fair drive through and... The yeah, Texas, how'd they do this? The Texas all. State Fair is just like a very special event for me. I grew up in Dallas County, and so we got like every year we got fair day. We got like a Monday off of school to go to the state fair. So there's a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. It's like a gigantic fair. Big text is very important in my life. And it was really fun. So we waited in a car for like two hours, um, which is fine. You're just like sitting in your car. Do you know what so I mean? So it was like a drive through the whole thing? It was. Well, but no, we waited like outside of the fair for two hours in okay. the car. And then, yeah, you get in the fair. They just, like, scan your ticket. Everybody has masks on. They scanned our ticket from just outside of our car. And then you just, like, drive through the fairgrounds. And they have, they stand. So you stay in your car the whole time. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I would like this part. Yeah, so they, and then they give you a bunch of, like, fair food. So we got drinks and corn dogs and cotton candy and kettle corn and french fries. 
and fried Oreos. Mm. I'll tell you what, the fried Oreos really did me in. I really ate like the corn dog and then one fried Oreo, and then I was like, okay. Oh, you can feel that. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> I have to go. And um, you just like drive through, and then about the midway point, you like hop out of your car, and they have a like socially distanced line. And then you go take a picture with big tags. And it's like everyone is like 10 or 15 feet away from you the whole time. Okay. So it felt very safe. Yeah. And it was really fun. And it, now we have all sorts of like fair food. Oh, we also got to play a, a, a game, like a fair game. Did you win anything? Yeah, we won two. A gigantic Tasmanian devil? No, we won two small stuffed animals. Okay. Uh, one was like a dolphin. And one was a dog, I think. Good use of money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Fair animals. <laughs> it was like it was like a hundred bucks for four people. That's a good deal. So that's twenty five dollars a person. All that food? Yeah. It's a win win because the state wins, the vendors win. Yeah. You win, Tex and, wins. And this way they got to employ some people. Yep. So it was just really great. I'm glad it. you did that. Yeah, it was really fun. And how far is the uh, fair from Grand Prairie? Uh like ten minutes. Is it by the stadiums and stuff? I've never been. The Cotton Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to the Cotton Bowl? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, the fairground, The Cotton Bowl's on the fairgrounds. Okay. It's not by AT&T. Right. And... There's a lot going on there, too. You got Valley Fair and you got um, yeah. those venues, both the... The, Ra- the Rangers built a new one, though, didn't they? They did. Have you seen it yet? Um, I haven't seen it except for in pictures. It's in the same location. Yes. It's okay. like... It shares parking lot. Well, here we are, week three. We're going to talk about cancel culture with yes. a little fear and trepidation. We are. And you have voiced that we can disagree, and this is probably where it's going to happen. Yes. Before we get there, though, okay. last week we talked about um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Kate McKinnon and SNL came up. So mm-hmm. I assigned us the task of coming up with a top ten list of SNL cast members of yeah. all time. And... I had us use for reference that Rolling Stone article in which they ranked at that time the top like 149 cast members. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that too, because okay. first of all, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, I think I want you to go first. Okay, I'm going to go backwards, ten through. Uh, first of all, I've decided in in looking at this. I started watching basically in 1990 because my older siblings. Yeah. So there's nobody on my list really before this. And I'm just going to name that and know that I'm passing by Chevy Chase and John Belushi and other greats who I know were amazing. But I didn't watch them. Yeah. So how could I pick them? That's exactly how I feel as well. So that being said, I feel like there have been four eras in my time. Okay. Three-ish, four-ish eras. One was 90 to 95, which for me is the golden era. Okay. And I think that's vindicated by the fact a lot of those people finish in the top 35. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at Danny Carvey, Mike Myers, Tim Meadows, Julia, or Phil Hartman, Mm -hmm. Julia Sweeney, Al Franken, Norm MacDonald, Molly Shannon. It's all one crew. Yeah. Very talented cast. A big crew. Um, So there was that. Then it was like after that, you had the Sherry O'Terry, Will Ferrell kind of. Yeah. Tina Fey, but they those those gals came like the Power Women came in like two thousand. Yeah, late nineties. But that early I blend those, and then there's the most recent era of, um, yeah, like Pete Davidson and well, the Keenan Thompson era, if you will. Although well, he, but he's been there eighteen he years. Started in two thousand three. Yes, that crazy? seventeen years. Okay, so here's my list: ten, Jimbo Fallon. Okay. Who I don't actually think was wildly good at executing his skits, 
but he he like removed well and it's snl it's like it doesn't exist but he really yeah. removed the fourth wall yeah because he would always break down a laugh yeah and that was funny to me. people like that oh i love it yeah okay number nine i gave him the longevity award keenan thompson Okay. I mean, just, he's been there since I was a junior it. in college. Yeah. Number eight, Amy Poehler. Yeah. I, um, you know, people always put her and Tina Fey together. Yeah. She's a little bit, I think Parks and Rec and um, 30 Rock really express their personality differences. Yeah. To me, she's a little more embodied kind of comic. Yeah. I, I, for, I did like her memoir better, though. You did? Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Yes, please, I think. Yeah. Was better than Bossy Pants. Okay. Okay, number seven. This is my furthest reach back. Okay. He finished number two on Rolling Stone. Okay. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I mean, the guy is just... He's it's, so, okay, so I have a question. Yeah. In your ranking, are you just talking about like their time on SNL, or do you feel like you are also... It was leader? hard to pull them apart, and I'll get to that when I get to my number one. Okay, okay. Okay. Um... If I did, like, overall talent, Eddie Murphy might move up. Because right. Donkey and Shrek right. is one of the, right. the most genius characters. Exactly. Okay, uh, five, Six and five right together because they were, like, friends. And this is what made the early 90s. I have Adam Sandler Chris Farley. Okay. Chris Farley. Yeah. That guy. He's like Kramer. I mean, he could make you laugh by entering into the scene. Yeah. Okay, number four, Will Ferrell. Okay. I just think he's the funniest guy. Yeah. Who successfully had a, a comedy movie career. Yeah. And then number three for me. Uh-huh. Kristen Wiig. Okay. I love her skits. Yeah. She's so funny. She Number so two, funny. Um, kind of the dry, lesser known, but for me, he just was probably my favorite kind of humor, Phil Hartman. Okay. And then number one. Okay. Tina Fey. Really? Well, here's the thing. I like subtlety. Yeah. And I think more than anything, I like her writing ability. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. What she, she's so, her humor is so incredibly smart. Yeah. And to me, she's like the queen. Yeah. So that's my list. I will tell you, Tina Fey, not on my list right now. Oh my gosh. I know. Blasphemy. I know. I think I'm going through a thing with Tina Fey. I, sometimes she seems mean to me. Like, give me an example. I can't give you mean an girls? example. Mean girls? <laughs> I mean, I think it's sometimes like the... <laughs> mean girls? No, Mean Girls is so great. Right. And in fact, Mean Girls the Musical is, I would say, even better than Mean Girls the Movie. And Tina Fey, executive producer. Genius. That. She did a great job. No, I think it's more of like when they're like when she's hosting things, she'll occasionally let go of a quip that's like mean, which is like actually normally in my life. I'm like women should be allowed to be mean. So I don't know what I'm going through with Tina Fey mm. right now, but she's not on my list. Um, great list, though. Thank you. Interesting, Tina Fey. One more thing, since we're talking about cancel culture today. Yeah. You know, she really got it for her bit on cake, eating cake. Do you remember yeah. that after the election? Uh huh. She, she got hammered on Twitter for that. Because it was, um, it seemed like insincere. Um, no, I think it was that um, people thought she was taking a kind of. Uh, I'm having trouble trouble picking a word. Like she didn't take the moment seriously enough. Yeah. Yeah, and that was like, um, was that right after the election? I think so. Like that, maybe that next week or something like that. Yeah. Or no, you know what? It was around the. It was actually in response to the Charlottesville march. Oh. So wherever that was in the time, timeline. Interesting. Um, interesting because, you know, Tina Fey has a history with Charlottesville. She went to UVA. Right. So it feels like it's probably not a thing she's not taking seriously. 
But I do think it's mostly been like, yeah, over the course of the last four or five years, I do feel like there have been some moments where she's being like very typical white lady. Okay. And not sort Like of, unaware of her privilege? Yeah. And not sort of engaging in the... I mean, it's sort of the difference, as you described, between her and Amy Poehler is, I think... I thought Amy Poehler's memoir was like... She seemed very angry in it. I thought, I don't know, maybe someone should have cautioned her not to write a memoir, like, in the midst of getting a divorce. Right. Um, but she also does seem more tuned into her feelings and emotions. Hmm. Whereas Tina Fey, I think, is like... She doesn't seem as much. Which is maybe why you like her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to deal with that crap. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I don't have mine in any particular order. So these are these are not top eight. It's just eight. eight. Yeah. Well, I have I added nine a ninth. One, okay. two, three, right. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Let's hear them. And I must confess, also like Josh, I did not. Um, well, I didn't even grow up watching SNL. My parents are not really comedy people. Okay. Um, and I think that's a real shame because I might have pursued a career in comedy if I had known that was an option. Um. You'd be good at it. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and I, so I have only watched like through college, which was like the late 2000s and then this past decade or whatever. But uh, you did remind me that Will Ferrell is, has to be on the list for me. I think he's yeah. hysterical. Yeah. And he was hysterical on SNL and then has had this like very wide career post SNL. That includes, by the way, like Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got range. Like, yeah. it's crazy. I just watched the movie Downhill with him and Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, yeah. Total miss. I, we'll talk about that sometime. Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. Though, also on SNL, one mm-hmm. season. She's yeah. really funny, but she couldn't, she's not right. on the list. She's, yeah. You know what I mean? You need to give me more than a year to get the list. Right. Um, okay. Uh, and then Melissa Villasenor, I think, is hysterical. Um, and she is, like, a current cast member. And... Um, they did a they did a skit a few years ago about it was a song and it was like all the women in the cast and it was about how it sucks to be a woman mm-hmm. and she just sang all of these like things in the background these little like ooh type things and it was the funniest moment of my entire life just so well placed and at one point yeah at one point they were like it's always been horrible to be a woman and then she was like in all of these different cultural like she was like at the Salem witch trials, like about to be burned at the stake. And she was like, what, how'd this happen? And it was, I loved it. Um, and then Amy Poehler did make my list. So Amy Poehler's on the list and she's great. And I do think I probably like her for how like embodied, I think her physical comedy is really great. And then also I think she brings just a lot of emotional depth to anything she's in. Yeah. Yeah. Her, the com- you know, season one of Parks and Rex was such a bomb. But the complexity of Leslie Nope yeah. is a likable, just, oh my gosh, great character. It is so crazy how bad <laughs> season one is. Well, she was trying to be um, Steve Carell. Yeah. It was so obvious that she was trying to be, um, what's his name? Michael Scott. Michael Scott. Yeah. But like a... And that was a writer thing, I'm sure. It's not her fault. Yeah. No. Uh, but then the development of, yeah, Leslie Nope as a character is insane because she's just the best. And then you think about how like hyper competent she becomes by the end of the series, and yeah. you're like, that's almost crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, Keenan Thompson. Yeah. Again, the longevity. Also, you know, as a '90s kid, he has been a part of like my sort of understanding of comedy for literally my entire life on Nickelodeon and all the things he did there. So, 
Um, gotta respect that. And then Kate McKinnon, I think, is hysterical. Yeah, she's the new queen. Yeah, I think she will really. I think she's the one that will go on to be like. Well, now she's done so many movies. She was mm-hmm. in Bombshell, yeah, which we talked also referenced last yeah. week. Um, so she's really great. Uh, I said Bill Hader. I think yeah. I think Bill Hader so funny. Uh, I think all of the stuff he was in is so funny. He can play it so straight, which I like really, really respect. Someone who can Stefan, be... that character. Oh yeah, and then Stefan is like so. I mean, iconic. I think mm-hmm. of SNL, but I really respect someone who can also can do that, but can also be the guy that's like they're making jokes off of. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's great. Uh, Rachel Dratch. Yeah. This is a very woman-heavy list. No, my gosh, you pie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think Rachel Dratch is so funny. And one thing I respect about her is just that she... It feels like she really will do anything for the joke. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, she doesn't... She commits. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's really a thing that she's, like, embarrassed to do. And Debbie maybe. Downer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. one of the funniest kids <laughs> ever. Yeah. I think all the time about that. The one with Lindsay Lohan where they're, like, yeah. in Disney World. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> it's so great. Um, okay. And then Maya Rudolph. Yeah. Which is like... Another great bodied actor. Yes. Who has range. Yes. Yes. And is like super, super hysterical. And uh, <laughs> and in everything she does. Every, I love everything she does. I love seeing her in everything. And then my last one is also probably my number one. And it is Aidy Bryant. Yeah, yeah, I know that you love her. Yeah, I love Amy Ryan so much. I can't wait to see. We're very similar in age. She's like 32 mm-hmm. or 33. That always depresses me, though, when I find people I admire that are my age or a little younger even. <laughs> it is a little Like, I gave up on athletes because it's like, oh, yeah, you only have a time frame for right. your... But uh, who did I see recently? It was like 39 and like, oh, crap. It's probably like some famous politician. And right, like, yeah. what have I done with my life? <laughs> yeah. But Amy Bryant encourages me. I believe she did it. I can do it. Um, just a few people that aren't on my list though just looking at, first of all I didn't know Sarah Silverman was on SNL yeah and that would have been a time when I saw it she wasn't there long no. I think the best weekend update host uh-huh. that I saw uh-huh. was Kevin Nealon really? well I guess T- Tina Fey did it too but yeah. like um, you know better than Norm Macdonald better than Seth Meyers for me didn't Jimmy Fallon do it for a while? uh huh I love Seth Meyers no these are all they're all great right. I'm just saying for whatever reason Kevin Nealon might be like you know the age you come you think is like yeah. the well, I really, I really like Michael Che and Colin Jost. Yeah, the newest ones, right? Yeah, I think they're really good. Is Michael Che still there? Right now, yeah, he is. Okay, I haven't watched. I didn't watch it all last year on the. I didn't watch any of the stuff in the spring. Yeah. But. Yeah, I didn't watch any of the COVID stuff. Speaking of Jenny Slate, I think is so hysterical. I did not even know she was on SNL. It was like just one year, but I think she's so 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 funny. Oh, you got the list up over there. Okay, yeah. here's another one. The The person who finishes the absolute last is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Which was interesting because, so I, he's a name you know because you know celebrities, but I didn't know what he did till he did the first Iron Man movie. Right. And people were talking about like kind of a comeback. Yeah. But he must have just bombed on SNL or had a problem or something. He, I think he had a drug thing. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. So that, I think Iron Man was the comeback from that, but previous to that he was on SNL and like, until I'd even looked at the list, I didn't even know that he was on SNL. Well, he finished behind the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> like the inorganic material finished ahead of him. Um, and then the other one I want to talk about was, um, well, Paul Schaefer. I love Letterman. I had no idea he was on SNL yeah. for a hot minute. No, and didn't. then the one character that I, I, just the way people talk about her that I wish I would have gotten to watch was Gilda Radner. Yeah. 
Um, she seems to be just a dynamite individual. I did a, I had to do a project on Gilda Radner in high school. I don't remember what it was for or why. But so I always, I mean, people just seem to really, really respect her a lot, which I think is cool. Okay. Well, thanks for doing that with me. It was so much fun yes, to go down. Yes, it was fun. We'll, we'll probably return to SNL from time to time. I'm sure. Okay. This week, we're talking about cancel culture. That's true. Um, this is another one where, actually, this is a larger theme I'm struggling with. And I think it has to do with grace, forgiveness, redemption, um, boundaries would be another way. But why don't you, we've already sensed the tension in each other talking about this. Why don't you talk about it first and tell me why you think it's constructive and where you see it, where you think you see it working well? Well, constructive is a good word, right? Because it's like, I don't, it's not that I necessarily am like, this is good and great. And I'm happy that this happens from time to time. Um, I think mostly for me... And the word I would use that is maybe sort of like culturally a Christian or evangelical word is like um, it holds people to account. There's like accountability for people's actions. And so, you know, I have tension within myself about like sometimes things come up that it's like, oh, this person is very famous. They're in their 40s or whatever. And then it's like, well, when they were 15, they said or did this one thing. And I feel some tension there as far as like... um, I mean, but by the grace of God, do we not all have the sins of our 15-year-old selves, like, written on our backs? Yeah. You know what I mean? The only thing we got going for us, we didn't have Twitter. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I have questions about, uh, like, that doesn't feel particularly constructive to me. But also, a practice that I have taken up is the practice of listening um, to people who uh, are experiencing societal oppression in ways that I am not. And so... If someone, for instance, a person of color says, this is really harmful um, and this person shouldn't be a part of society, right? Like popular sort of cultural society right now. They need to take a minute to think over what they've done. Then I I try to embrace that and say like, well, maybe I don't understand why. um, And maybe that doesn't quite make sense to me. But I haven't experienced the societal oppression that that person or that group of people has experienced. And so I trust their judgment when they say something like that. And it's the same as like also, you know, like women, I think cancel culture comes up a lot with women who have been um, sexually assaulted. And particularly what generally happens is like a large group of women from over the course of like 15 or 20 years are like, oh, I also experienced that at the hands of this person. And so then what is like, um, what is revealed is a pattern of behavior, right? So not like a, and generally, I mean, you know, sometimes in an apology, you get some sort of like, I didn't understand what I was doing. And it's like, you didn't understand what you were doing 45 times over the course of 15 years. That doesn't seem particularly true. Um, and so I do think that it is, I do think that sort of cancel culture is uh, helpful in calling people to account for their behavior, especially people who are in positions of power and otherwise would not ever be held accountable for the things that they've done. And then, you know, this is, I mean, this is a newish phenomenon. And so it's like, what does that look like? How do people come back from that? Do people ever come back from that? I don't know. Uh, But it's like, we're like, you know, basically five years into some, this situation. So it's like, maybe in 10 years, some of those people will have made some sort of restitution and re-entered society and maybe some of them will not we'll see, have to see you know 
Yeah. Well, and I should start by saying what I think I can agree with too is I sent you two articles to read. Um, one was a David Brooks article, mm-hmm. and um, he cites an example of a punk band. Mm-hmm. And they're traveling to a show, and Emily, the character in the article, gets a text like, you're not welcome to play here. Come to find out that somebody's publicly accused one of the males in the band of uh, sexual something or another. Yeah. Apologize for not getting the detail right. So he it, it peaks, it tips, whatever, it goes viral, and mm-hmm. they essentially ostracize him, kick him out of the band. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then a year later, yeah, somebody... Uh, finds a comment she made on a photo of a classmate who is naked in a picture and made fun of them. Yeah. And so then she got canceled. Right. Uh, to her credit, she kind of owns it and says, I should be canceled, which sort of stunned me a little bit. I should be? Yeah. Okay. Um, but in the end of that article then, um, Richard Wangham, Wangham, I can't remember. I read one of his books. He's a sociologist. Um talks about how he does think that the cancel culture is a necessary tool, especially where power is immune to sort of critique. Yeah. And I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, my concern is always, as a Christian, mm-hmm. and it's very tough because I think you can only make sense of Christian ethics in a robust within a robust ecclesiology, which is certainly not the case for America. But um, sure, right. we have this really hard task of, um, I think, of redeeming the enemy yeah and i don't in my mind know how cancel culture serves that purpose i think it does hold to account which is part of the formula and a very important one and one that people of power and privilege has by and large um felt immune to right yeah and that's the problem especially currently in america definitely um but i don't like, I don't know. So we've talked a lot about, for example, two names that we kind of use synonymously or not synonymous, but next to each other is mm-hmm. Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And Louis C.K. got canceled mm-hmm. and kind of is just done. Well, yeah. Well, he got canceled and then he, like, leaned into it. Now all of his comedy sets are, like, gross jokes about, like, gay people and tr- trans people. So, like... Didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's ter- terrible worse. So that's one way you could take yeah. being canceled. Uh, but then in Zari, he was interesting too because um, for those of you who don't know, it was somebody leaked a story where he was on a date and basically, uh, I don't I don't know. Because the, the, the question's about agency, right? It was a tricky thing. Right, yes. And as far as like um, the story was about a woman who, yeah, it seems like, <sighs> it's so tricky. Um, the I think the critique of the story that she sold to Vulture or something. Well, let's let's say they had a sexual encounter. Yes. That she left feeling not great about. She didn't like it. Okay. Um, and so the the question though was like, is was this like at at any point was she not giving consent to him? And also, can consent be given when the power differential is such that it's like one person is a celebrity and one person is just a normal person off the street? Um, and then the critique was like, so was this un- non-consensual or was this just like bad sex? Like, do you just not like Aziz Ansari, you know? And there were some to be, give a whole, like feminists who basically said, do not waste like the Me Too moment on stuff like this. Yeah. Like, this is too big of a deal for you to, so yeah. um, it, it didn't get, it didn't run the gauntlet without criticism. But he, Aziz Ansari, mm-hmm. definitely took a hit in his career. 
Yeah, I think so. But do you think he's bounced back in a way that some people haven't been able to? I do think so. And is that because of the questionable nature of what happened or because he came back the right way? I don't know that he's done or said anything that he responded in any way. So I think it mostly had to do with like the nature of the encounter and people sort of not knowing whether or not it was it was non-consensual or just bad sex. Okay, now here's another figure I want to talk about for a second. Because okay. I think the question I'm asking is, what does it actually mean to cancel someone? Sure. So Kanye West. Yeah. This was in that episode of The Daily I listened to about cancel culture. Okay. Um, he, for his support of a particular politician, mm-hmm. got hammered by a community that had um, appreciated him artistically, mm-hmm. released an album the next week, and set record sales. Yeah. <laughs> so canceled, but not so much canceled that I'm not going to buy your album. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So do you think it's more of a social sphere thing or is it about business or is it everything? Uh, I think it depends on the, I think it depends from like situation to situation, whether or not it is more of a social thing or a money thing. Also, I think just realistically, it's like, Certainly what I think this does most of the time is if we're going to talk about whether or not being canceled ruins someone's life, it maybe ruins their life emotionally more than anything else. Um, But these are, for the most part, these are still, anyone who's been canceled is still like a wealthy person who has a group of people that they spend time with socially. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and that, and I guess it could be different if this is, I mean, this sometimes happens to normal people, right? Like it doesn't only happen to celebrities. Um, you know, it could happen within a town that somebody did. Well, okay. Another good example was the, the park incident in New York Mm -hmm. where I forget their names, but they had the same last name incidentally. Mm -hmm. Was it Jones or something? Oh, um, yeah. And an African American man was walking. No, he was walking to the park. He was taking pictures. He's a birder. Birder, yeah. yeah. And a, a Caucasian woman yeah. had her dog off the leash illegally in this section of Central Park. Yeah. And he asked her to put the leash back on the dog. Yeah. And she felt threatened by this. Sure. And the, he was recording her and said, she said, I'm, you can see her, I'm going to call the police and tell them you're attacking me. Yeah. Um, and then she did, she... did she even say a black man is attacking me? Yes. In the, in a phone call. In the phone call. And she... I mean, her level of, like, hystericalness rises exponentially right. as soon as she's on the phone with 911. And, but, yeah. So she got fired from her job. Her dog got taken away from her. But essentially, eventually, most of those things, except for her job, as far as I know, got given back to her. She has her dog again. Like So here's what's interesting about her, that story, though. Several things. One, she presumably would come from a part of culture that would be in favor of canceling people. Yes. Yeah, I think she, I think, I think it came out that she is like, you know, registered member of the Democrat Party or something like that. And the one person who said she shouldn't be quote unquote canceled was him. Yeah. And, uh. But that seems like because he has grace. I mean, he's a gracious person. Right. Um. Which says something, I think, about the dynamics of who gets to say forgiveness should be given. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then, so my critique of cancel culture, though, is, and, and I, I'll do this with the two stories, is not that the act of um, accountability and a call for repentance isn't a good thing. Uh-huh. It's who gets to do that and kind of what I see is really a mob mentality of people who don't really have a kind of relational um, posture to the moment where ethics can play out in a meaningful way. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, he gets to be the one, I think, who says she can be restored. Right? Um, I think that's true. I mean, I think that's part of the truth. But the other part of the truth, right, is that so this is, at some point, this becomes uh, um, a small example that is part of a larger social dynamic. So it's not just him right. that is affected by her making this phone call and saying a black man is attacking me in the park. But that it's also, you know, black men in general or people of color in general who are affected by her doing that. And so it's not so certainly in a relational way, he is the person who gets to make that call. But I think at some point it's also people of color um, and people who especially have been affected by anti-black racism and anti-black action in the world, um, that they also sort of get a say in, in what happens, you know? And maybe not, and maybe their say is systematic and not relational or personal, but. Yeah. Um, and another really, uh, maybe an, another way to think about that is when in the, the, I might get his name wrong, Botham John Trial. Yeah, Botham Jean. When his, brother came down off the thing and asked yeah. to give the murderer a hug. Yeah. There, there was immediately a, this is beautiful, but white people, please don't try and prescribe this. Well, and there were a lot of white people who immediately were like, this is what we should all do right. all the time. And it yeah. was like, okay, do you do that? No. <laughs> okay, so maybe this is where it's getting on thin ice, and mm-hmm. this is where you can help me. Okay. So, and I maybe I'm trying to figure out what I'm reacting to emotionally in myself because that's really how all of us, I think, at the end of the day, do these things. Yeah. Is we either are or not aware of what's really bothering us or happening. Right. So, in the David Brooks article with the two punk rockers who got canceled subsequently one after the other. Right. Um, it was an invisibilia episode in case anybody's interested in the full story. Yeah. So Brooks is writing about this and he talks about the person who exposed Emily, mm-hmm. the second punk rocker Mm -hmm. and they um they asked him about why he did it and he said like i get a thrill out of it almost like an orgasm sorry to be crass but that's what he says and then they go on to talk about like why he does it and how he had his own hurt and abuse in the past Mm -hmm. and um that's that's where i get really weary and nervous um and like so the, to bring up another talking point that we use often mm-hmm. that you can tell me I'm misapplying here. And, I, and I've tried to make sense of this and I would like to ask her if I ever got the chance. But Nadia Boltzweber mm-hmm. in her interview with Krista Tippett on Being says um, we don't get to speak from our wounds when they're still bleeding. Right. We can speak to our from our scars when they're healed. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel like a lot of call out culture or cancel culture is a mob of people who again don't have the relational proximity for it to be a meaningful ethical moment doing emotional work in themselves and kind of scapegoating a figure because their wounds are still bleeding Mm -hmm. and i just don't think it's a productive way to deal with it and it's not going to get society to the place we all ultimately hope for yeah um i think that's a fair critique i think so my response to that is, so I guess what you're saying is um, not maybe like the person who has been harmed, who has started the conversation about why one person needs to be ha- canceled, but sort of the mob response of people 
speaking out of their wounds, that that is more your concern? Yeah. And, you know, like I want to honor the fact that they need to have an emotional response. Like trauma triggers and they have a proximity to that moment. And so they I think they should have a space and a way to do that. I just don't think it's healthy as a society that um, we give power to that. Yeah, um, I do think my response uh, is mostly that just in the same, it's like, it's the flip side of the thing you're saying, which is to say that like, that maybe just because I don't have that trauma, that also doesn't mean that I get to decide what the response is. Does that make sense? No. Okay. (laughs) Because I want to say to you, of course you don't get to decide, you know? Yeah. But so... Um, you mean as the one unaffected, I also don't get to cast a moral judgment the other way? Yeah. To say those people don't get to have a judgment? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the fear and trepidation of me having this conversation is, is a white male sure. heteronormative who's had a pretty great life. Yeah. Um, and, and really, I think cancel culture only presents represents something for me to lose. Probably so, Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. I it it represents something for all of us to lose. Um, but like, especially those of us who have been in positions of privilege and power for most of our lives. Um, but that doesn't, you know, I my response to that, I guess, like that doesn't make it bad. Like, if I did something uh, <laughs> crappy, then I, you know, I mean, then I deserve to experience like blowback from that you know and and i think some of this is like it's larger than i would prefer right now but it's because for so many years people in positions of privilege and power have not experienced any accountability and i think we come at it differently in that i i have hope that eventually it will even out do you know what i mean Mm. like that eventually we will um experiencing sort experience sort of a downhill slope and then a sort of flattening of maybe people being held accountable more often so that when something comes out it is not um it doesn't have to be this like giant response yeah but if public accountability was working in the first place we wouldn't need cancel culture yeah yeah and i think i mean it's it's especially interesting to think about like evangelical pastors and like the things the giant things that come out where it's been like oh for 20 or 30 years this person has been behaving in a way that they have also been condemning right well and i think that's you know there was a very interesting article i saw a while ago it said evangelicals invented or cancel culture Mm -hmm. and there's something very true about that Mm -hmm. that um Though they've done it with a kind of moral superiority because they thought it was prescribed by the text. Yeah. Um, they have kept a group of people out of certain social spheres mm-hmm. because of, um, yeah. I guess the difference now is it happens in social media. Yeah. Uh, but Jerry Falwell is the latest example of this. Yeah. Who oh, yeah, had exactly. a very prescriptive social ethic for the world and mm-hmm. represented that. Mm-hmm. And then um, was confusingly in bed with a moral leader who did not represent that. And then we come to find out there's a very checkered past. Right, yeah. And that feels especially 
um, egregious. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that that feels, which I guess is maybe, you know, the, the question you can ask is like in evangelical culture, you are prescribing a very specific worldview and behavior view, behavior pattern. But like, you know, when it comes to society, like maybe it's, it will be interesting to see if we ever run up against a situation where someone just full on is like, no, I meant to do that thing you guys are trying to cancel me for. Like, I get to behave however I want. Hmm. I don't think we've experienced that at any point, but, you know, in the broader culture, there's not necessarily a particular worldview. Yeah. I wonder, it. you know, when I think about all these things that are hard for me to move through, either in the preaching moment or in my own thinking, mm-hmm. the, the common theme is always um, what what's the end game for the power broker? Uh-huh. The person with power? That's always the theme. Right. Um, and I do believe that the gospel intends to redeem even the power brokers. I do too, yeah. Um, but we don't have, it hasn't happened where they've been held accountable yet. Right. And that isn't the norm. Um, but if if we get to that place, what does that mean for people to be redeemed? Yeah. I um, This is probably a good time to introduce the text of terror. Okay, great. Text of Terror. Um, And I think it can actually just keep this discussion going. And I have actually another text that I want to reflect on. But this is from one Corinthians. Multiple texts? Multiple texts. Wow. 1 Corinthians 5. um, It's just the ugliest moral situation you'll find in the epistles. Mm -hmm. The man is sleeping presumably with his mother-in-law, I think it is. And then so Paul's advice to the community in verse 5 is, he says, hand the man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh mm-hmm. so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a pretty um, bleak picture of canceling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I also want to argue, but it says so that. So that, they yeah. They may be redeemed in that. Um, maybe we just aren't in a point yet where we can meaningfully talk about the so that. Well, uh, hold on, let me. Uh, so that he may be redeemed on the day of the Lord. Yeah. So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Um, yeah. Well, that's... But when is that? Do you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. think that's today. Do you know what I mean? So... Yeah. Um, but, okay, so here's another argument I would make, though. Okay. Um, the real threat, the real discipline mm-hmm. is the excommunication from the community. Mm-hmm. And, again, I would make my argument about ecclesiology and meaningful ethics. You can't do... You can't form moral behavior without a community. Um, and that's the big threat here. And so to deprive someone of that is, is the worst thing. And with But there's from, not. I mean, there's not a moral community that we're all a part of. No, for me, and that's the problem. Right. Is cancel culture just, it gives the shame without any of the hope of redemption because there's no relational proximity between the canceler and the canceled. So you don't think reformation, you don't, you don't think this is a way to hold people accountable because there's no... I think it's helpful in that it it can speak to power when power won't listen. Yeah. But I don't think cancel culture is going to redeem anyone. I think that's fair. I think I come at it more thinking about... Um, we, we talked about this um, with um, RBG last week. Like, you can't necessarily legislate your way into change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to have buy-in people have to see why a choice is being made to understand why something has to change and so 
I think at some point, um, maybe it's not. Well, actually, this is definitely a worldview difference for us. Like, I'm almost never thinking about the power broker. Screw the power broker. I don't care. I don't, I don't care what happens to them. I tend to think they're bad anyways. And I am generally thinking of the person coming from the coming in the other direction, the person who has been oppressed, the person who has um, experienced some sort of wrong. And so for me, uh, what I'm thinking is like, well, this is a way for this person to at least, at the very least, experience safety, to feel yeah. safe in the world, and to know that like that's really good. Um, the, the person who did this to them is not going to do it to them again or to any other people. Um, and so I think for me, that's the meaningful part of it. It's not, I'm not concerned. In fact, I generally tend to think that there's not going to be reformation, but that what is being created is a place for people to experience safety. And hopefully in experiencing safety, they can then go on to experience like human thriving in a way that they couldn't before. Yeah, and that was some of what the the talking points I got from Rob Rodden a few weeks ago in my sermon was about forgiveness. Uh-huh. And um, I was thinking about is that last point is you don't get to tell somebody when to forgive, right? Um, especially if the abuser hasn't yeah. Um, changed, yeah. right? If you do, then you're just creating a dangerous situation, right? Yeah. Um, the other verse, and I think I talked about that sermon I've been thinking a lot about, is after Jesus says, forgive, go approach them. If they don't go back with another person, if mm-hmm. they don't receive, then go back with the community. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's where this pours in, cut them off from the community in uh-huh. 1 Corinthians 5. But after that, it says, and if they don't treat them as a tax collector or uh, I can't remember what the other thing. What is it? But it's, it's yeah, it's these stock categories of these figures who are on the outside. Yeah. And that's why I quoted Barbara Brown Taylor, and she says, Christianity is a religion where sinners have all the advantages, where, according to Jesus' vision, these people still have it good. Um, yeah. In that you don't get to treat them how Hammurabi would treat an enemy, right? Right, yeah. Um, it's a self-sacrificial kind of nonviolent approach to them. And yet I was thinking, though, what that does is it introduces a kind of... Um, Something stale. It puts a, a distance back between the community and that person mm-hmm. where they are othered. Uh-huh. And I think that othered is for the sake of the, the safety of the individual. Yeah. Um, if they're not willing to change, then they don't get access to the emotional vulnerable parts of who we are. Right. And that the community, even that it's not just that person. They don't get access to that person, but they don't get access to the community and like sort of being known until they're willing to change their behavior. Yeah. I think probably the acute problem for me is I'm trying to process this in terms of the church, which requires the community. Right. And this is really a, a phenomenon in the world, to, to use Johannine language. Yeah. And to try and bring my ethics to that moment just isn't going to work. Yeah. I think that's maybe true. Because it is... Um, I don't... You know, I do think that um, forgiveness and reconciliation is a large part of what we are called to as Christians. Um, but I do think that I trust the church well, and should I? <laughs> Certainly not with this pastor. I, I trust UBC. No, I trust UBC to like um, to handle this better. Um, which is not to say we're perfect in any capacity. But um, I guess I trust the church like sort of even capital C is wrong. 
I trust the ideas and the like worldview of Christianity as far as what it is trying to say about um, what forgiveness looks like. And it is not trying to say that what forgiveness looks like is that like every victim has to immediately forgive their abuser and then go back to being in the same type of relationship with them. That's like not at all what um, I think scripture or Jesus was trying to say it is what the church has told people over the course of time, which is a big, big, big problem. Um, but I trust that. But I, yeah, I, I don't think I have any illusions about, like, American culture right now and whether or not it's going to, the people in power are going to stop uh, oppressing people, which is that I don't think they are. Yeah. One more thing, and I, I don't, this is an unfinished instinct or thought within me that I don't know how to make sense of is I feel like part of the wisdom of grace Mm -hmm. is that Christians understand that they are always a moment away from being in the same shoes. Yeah. And so, and you, that's that article the New York times article where Mm -hmm. she canceled and then she got canceled. Yeah. And so I don't know, I guess I also want to live in a world where with irrational generosity, because I'm going to need it at some point. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I do think my response to that is that that feels like a very white man thing to say, Um, which is like, which is to say that we, of course, we all will need a rational generosity at some point, especially like um, relationally, you know, like it's just none of us are perfect. It's hard to be in relationship with all of us at some point in time. But um, but also certainly like systemically, um, there are people in positions of power and privilege who, I mean, we do need more forgiveness than other people, but like... People in power? Yeah. Um, but we or in you know like privileged groups or whatever um and that and that's not this and it is it's like a one-way thing like we need forgiveness but there's not in our in our privilege we need forgiveness but there's not it's not a reciprocal thing does that make sense like yeah but then obviously the people in oppressed groups like it's not like we need to be forgiving them they're constantly showing grace right by just participating in society. Yeah. There's the power thing again. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to get away from. Yeah. Well, thanks for being brutally honest. I'm glad yeah. we have that relationship where you get to do that. Yeah, thanks. And I should say, um, I think the good news is wherever I do need to be, mm-hmm. if, if there's this kind of Kantian ontological rightness to this moment, mm-hmm. that um, I do feel like I get there more closely because mm-hmm. people like you are my teacher oh, wow, thanks. and there are other great people in our community who are my teachers and yeah. who listen, listen patiently as I am unaware of privilege mm-hmm. when I have these instincts and comments and moments and yeah well and I feel very similarly right? like I have a lot of privilege and I feel like there are so many people like particularly in the UBC community who are so kind and generous about teaching me mm-hmm. and it just is I mean what a great group of folks we got, you know? Yeah. 
Well, Taylor, thanks for having the hard conversation with me. Of course. And for having the fun conversation with me. Yeah. If course. you're listening, please review, yeah. retweet, yeah. re whatever you can and make us famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we will see you next week to talk about a topic that hasn't been decided on yet. Uh, no, it has not.